Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastromonaco joins to talk about the impeachment circus. Then I chat with Nancy Northrup of the Center for Reproductive Rights on the abortion case that might hit the Supreme Court this term. Then Megan Gailey, Naomi Perrigan, and Dana Schwartz join me in studio to kick off October with an episode on fear. And finally, as always, our hills. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get started, housekeeping. If you want to submit a hill you'll die on, record a 30-second voice memo on your phone and send it to hysteria at crooked.com. And if you have a burning question, submit your questions for Dude You Asked via email. And uh, that also goes to hysteria at crooked.com. And don't forget to check out the segment on Crooked Media's Instagram. You can see our faces podcasting while you hear us talking. Now, some very good news. When we launched our partnership with Stacey Abrams in September, Fair Fight 2020, we set out to raise $1 million for Stacey Abrams' voter protection organization in two months. This week, thanks to all of you, we've hit our goal. You helped raise $1 million in just two weeks. That is amazing. If you are one of the more than 30,000 donors who helped make this thing possible, thank you. And if you didn't, you should have. The 2020 election is going to come down to a slim number of votes and protecting the votes Republicans are actively trying to suppress could mean the difference between victory and a nuclear winter. I did not say nuclear winter. The copy did. I read it to you because I agree. If you listen to this show and you feel left out because you didn't donate, you're the luckiest procrastinator in all the land because Stacey Abrams still has a bigger goal to hit. Fair Fight 2020 and Stacey Abrams are trying to hit $5 million by November 5th in order to hire a voter protection team in each of the 20 battleground states. This is the most important thing you can do right now to help win in 2020. Do it for your anxiety. Do it for Stacey. Go to votesaveamerica.com slash fairfight to donate now. Because the news is overwhelmingly shitty, I'm doing this new thing where I offer a wholesome recommendation to our listeners before the show gets going. This week, my wholesome recommendation is send the last great book you finished reading to a person you know who would love it, who lives in a different city. 
So like one of your friends, not just a stranger. I mean, also sign your name and stuff because it's important that they know who's sending them a book. It'd be kind of creepy to get an unsolicited book from nowhere, especially if it was like a book that the title could be interpreted as a slam. Like if I got uh, a copy of The Idiot in the mail and there was no note, I would be like, wait, what are you trying to say to me? So send a handwritten note in the last great book you read to a friend who lives in another city. They'll love it and then they'll read it and you'll have something to talk about. Okay, on to the show. Hello. Hey, Alyssa. Hey, Erin. Um, Alyssa, I have a question. Yes. Um, did you read Nancy Drew books as a kid or teen? Is that a joke? Yeah, I mean, is you, that a joke? You of did, course right? I did every single one 500 times over. My favorite is The Clue in the Crumbling Wall. Okay. I used to like the ones <laughs> that got like a little spooky. I had old vintage editions of like The Secret in the Old Clock and The Hidden Staircase and all that stuff. They're good. Yeah. Um, They're okay. all good. Yeah. I loved Nancy Drew, but. Um, it didn't occur to me, did it ever occur to you, that uh, Nancy Drew is a sentence? What? Nancy Drew has a subject and a predicate. It is a sentence for Nancy in the past tense, Drew. Drew. She drew. Oh. Yeah. Nancy Drew. Yeah. That, no, I didn't. That's I the, didn't. And, and Alyssa, I'm in the middle of a move, and that represents the entirety of my intellectual capacity. <laughs> Um, let's talk about things that, uh, other things a child could pick up on, uh, besides Nancy Drew being a sentence and moving sucking. And um, things that don't inspire joy. Things that don't inspire joy. Um, in addition to cheating at taxes and golf and on all of his wives, it turns out Donald Trump also cheats at democracy, which... Who knew? Everyone. Shock of shocks. Um, so... With this, uh, it, it appears that Donald Trump not only asked the Ukrainian president for help uh, in digging up dirt on a political appoint, opponent, which is illegal. Um, it seems like he ca- he was asking lots of people for help. Um, he, uh, through, through some of his cabinet members, was trying to reach out to Australia. Um, I believe there's some questions about what was said to Saudi Arabia. Um, I think Italy's in the mix. Italy. Well, I mean, if you're going to be corrupt and you're going to leave out Italy, what the fuck are you doing? What's even the point? I know. Italy is the pasta of corruption. You just have to. It's just you just got to sit down and enjoy. It's so simple and perfect with just the, a few ingredients. And they've been doing it for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, it's like a fine wine of just being corrupt. Um, so here's the here's what I was thinking, though, like. Um, do you think that Donald Trump trying to cheat at democracy implies like a deep insecurity? Like people who cheat at games do it because they're deep down. They're pretty sure they couldn't win outright. Yeah. I mean, like, come on, though. We have known this since the summer of 2016. Like he was squawking about how they were going to be voting irregularities literally to cover his ass when he thought he was going to lose. And then he won and he was like, shit. Now what do we do? Because we all know he just wanted to like be in it so that he could end up with like a hotel in Moscow. Like he didn't really want to be president. But now it's like the world was so, you know, confused emoji face about the fact that he won that he's just been super like, like he who doth protest too much. Like he just he knows that he's sad. 
Right. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe it's deep insecurity. Like he knows deep down. Well, no, inside. yes, I, I agree fully. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a part of me that thinks that, you know, but then there's a part of me that thought my galaxy brain was like, maybe he's somebody who doesn't really, his brain is so warped by whatever weird world has fostered the weirdness that is our very weird president, um, that maybe the cheating is the point. Like he doesn't really, it's not, he doesn't cheat because he doesn't think he can win. He cheats because he wants to get away at, get yeah, away with the cheating. scam. Yeah. It's the art of the scam. It's never the art of the deal. It's like, how can I throw people out of their homes, tear it down and build something that's very junky and charge very expensive rents for people to live in, though I will not let 50% of the population even submit an application. No, he's, he is the art of the scam. Yeah. So, but the thing that's really fascinating, fascinating, like a car crash is fascinating. Um, fascinating, like a, like a bunch of cars just falling from the sky and crashing like meteors into the earth. Um, so he seems to rope everybody around him. People have said this for a long time, but now it's even more clear that he has roped everyone close to him into his scamminess. So, so far, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Attorney General Bill Barr, and Satan's elf Rudy Giuliani have been implicated. Um, so during Watergate, plenty of mediocre white men went down. Alyssa, which one do you think is most likely to go down this time? Oh, I think it's Rudy Giuliani. Really? I think it's Rudy. Yeah, you want to know why? Why? Because he's such a fucking caricature. Like, he's not even a person. He's like this, one of my favorite things, I'm not favorite things, this is pathetic, but when I was watching him on This Week with George Stephanopoulos, he started out, like, at least physically in control, and by the end, he was dripping sweat from his bald brow. And I just think that he's going to like sputter into the orbit and he's going to be the sacrificial lamb because everyone's going to be like, okay, here's the deal. Trump bar, they're all going to get together. Pence, because you know, Pence is all up in this shit too. Mm -hmm. They're going to be like, okay, we need a sacrificial lamb. Who's it going to be? We already fired Jeff Sessions. And it's going to be Rudy because the problem is people for some reason still think that like Bill Barr has some sort of like credibility. I think Bill Barr is the kid from A Christmas Story grown up and turned evil. That's my theory. Oh my god! Of Doesn't he look just like it's pretty good, Ralphie? He looks, right? He looks like the Ralphie. Kid's name? Yes, he has same glasses. He's like evil Ralphie. It's like Ralphie glasses got are bullied. Such they're Ralphie glasses. glasses. Are such an important glasses are such an important facial accoutrement because like you can literally turn yourself into Ralphie from a Christmas story. Yeah, with just a pair of glasses. Yeah, and a big round face. Um, so the Rudy thing, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that because he's the president's personal attorney and was kind of doing all this stuff that was just totally outside the law, like um, looking at things that would that should have required him to have security clearance that he didn't have and talking to people as though he had a government capacity that he didn't have. Um, I was actually looking back through the timeline of this as I was prepping mm. for the episode and the whistleblower complaint broke on the news of it broke on September 13th. So I was thinking, look, it's not funny, but it's sort of funny uh, if September 13th turned out to be Rudy's 9-11. Which was Friday the 13th. Yes, Wait, but I have something that's not funny, but funny. Okay. As I was prepping, as I was prepping for our segment today, I had the news on in the background and one of the news programs started out as follows. 
<laughs> yada, 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 impeachment, yada, yada, Trump, Trump, yada, yada, bar. Now, in serious news, Senator Bernie Sanders. So like a very serious journalist, and I am positive this person did not realize what they said, uh-huh. but they literally went on about impeachment for two or three minutes and then said in serious news, Bernie Sanders, you know, is in the hospital in Nevada because he's had a heart surgery. And I was just like, no, that's it in a nutshell. It's like everyone reports on it. It is serious, but it's so outrageous mm-hmm. that you can't help but be like, yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> Yeah, it's not funny. It is like the most serious thing that can happen in a democracy. Another serious thing is that Mike Pompeo is trying to stonewall Congress from carrying out its constitutionally uh, its constitutional duties. Okay, I have so much to say about this. Okay, go ahead. I'm very angry because he obviously fucking lied on television and said to Martha Raddatz, you know, last Sunday, whenever it was, I never heard anything about this. And it turns out, yeah, he fucking did because he was on the fucking phone call. He was on the goddamn call. And so now he has gone so far as to ask the Human Resources Department if they can punish State Department employees who have been subpoenaed or called in if he can punish them for complying. Right. And the thing that makes me upset about this, and I tried, well, many things, but I tried to make the point the other day on Twitter and people are just too frothing at the mouth to be like open-minded, I guess right now. But like the thing that makes me sad is that a lot of these people who are probably being subpoenaed are just like fucking public servants who've worked at the state department for a long time Mm -hmm. who handle that region of the world that handle phone calls that have always been like the senior director for yada yada. And these people who have made government salaries their whole life, like are facing doing what they know is right, potentially being fired. And what nobody, when I said on Twitter, I was like, oh, you know, this is like a really, this is like a real thing. People are like, well, they should have had a conscience and quit. Okay. That's some privileged shit talking because these people have pensions and retirement plans that they have like put into their whole lives. And so Mm -hmm. I just have to say a shout out for the people who are like the real victims in all this. And these are like, you know, other than the American people writ large. Right. The public servants. Yeah. I mean, yes, exactly. They've been pulled into into scenarios that they did not sign up for. They're basically, Correct. they're being, they're victims of being longtime conscientious, head down, nose to the grindstone workers for an entity that is now run by a bunch of fucking chuckleheads. And they're sort of like, between. it's like working for a really terribly managed company where you're getting conflicting information from your your different bosses and they're all yelling at you. And I think a lot about the president of Ukraine and the look on his face as he was sitting there in that weird forced press conference where President Trump was like, I didn't pressure you. I didn't pressure you, did I? He was like, right. Tell them. <laughs> yeah. And his face was just like, I want nothing to do with this. It's like walking through a grocery store and you and there's like a couple fighting and the man is like, tell her. And it's like, no, I'm Nope, I'm not. I'm backing into a hedge. I don't want anything to do with this. This isn't what I signed up for. But ugh. anyway, um, OK, so who would you. So we talked about Rudy Giuliani possibly going mm. to jail um, mm. because he's probably the easiest one for them to throw under the bus. And Lord knows they like throwing people under the bus and they like things that are easy. But who do you who do you think would be the most satisfying to see go to jail? Oh, I feel like Pompeo. You know, because first of all, he's had like all these jobs. It's kind of like, you know, when, how to explain. 
everyone keeps being like, all these people in Trump's universe, they're all such ding-dongs, but Pompeo went to Harvard. It's like, I don't fucking care where he went to school. He's like, he's like a stooge. Uh-huh. He's a stooge who wants to run for president someday. And so he's like clinging like a barnacle to the bottom of this boat. And he's like, I'm going to make it all the way to the end. And I just feel like he is the most dickish, mm-hmm. I guess. And the one who I think also knows the difference between right and wrong. And it's just doubling down on wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and say, I think I'd like to see Bill Barr be the first one to go down on this, even though I think he's the least likely to, um, because I think he is weaponizing the Justice Department or attempting Very to weaponize true. the Justice Department, which is one of the most dangerous things imaginable for American democracy. And it it's the quickest way to turn this country from a place that has ostensible freedoms for certain groups of people, but is striving institutionally to move toward a more free and just society to a country that is just straight up Russia, but without the, you know, great classical composers. Okay, I'm I'm here for that. Okay. You know what? I'd be happy if they both went down. I mean, Aaron Copeland is a good classical composer, but like, come on. You know, oh, Appalachian not, Spring. Yeah, it's true. Good. It's true. You know what? If you want to feel patriotic, I recommend. Yeah. I recommend just listening to Appalachian Spring. It's great. It is great. Oh my God. We're so like high minded today talking are, about classical music. We are super high minded. <laughs> Unprompted, um, by the way. Totally. Um, do you have any toasts or roasts this week? You know, I have a real quick roast okay. to uh the man people love to call the apple cheek hate goblin, Jeff Sessions, who came out yesterday or today saying that it's time for Republicans to show some spine and support Trump. He is the embodiment of like the really bad lifetime movies when you're like, come on. Mm -hmm. He has beaten you up, tossed you back. He made you run in high heels down a wet alley and you're still coming back for more. Mm -hmm. Like you're pathetic. He hates you. So I just roast him because get some self-esteem, dude. I know. Get confident, stupid. Yeah. What's yours? Um, I have a a, a toast, a kind of collective toast, but I want to like especially toast two people. And this might surprise you, but I want to toast Chris Wallace of Fox News. Um, <gasps> Brought it. Who has been bringing it lately. And I think that he, you know, despite the fact that he works for Fox News and that people yell at me on Twitter every time I point out that he does a good job. Um, I think he's a good journalist and he really, really gave it to uh, Stephen uh, Miller. Stephen Miller. Which was great. And um, also want to toast Jake Tapper, who has had none of it. Uh, And other journalists have been um, like, I think Nicole Wallace stopped the Trump speech last week and was like, he's lying. Um, Journalists have gotten a lot better at not laying over and showing their bellies and letting the uh, Trump administration scratch them and then barking and, you know, asking for treats. So the, the media has been doing, certain members of the media have been doing a better job than they have been in the past. And so I want to toast them for that. Toast them. Do you think that Chris Wallace would have us on his show? Oh my God. I, you know what? I would hug Chris Wallace. I would give him a hug. I, you know, my first television interview ever was with Chris Wallace. Really? 
Is he yeah. Not, is he, did he grill you? Did he, did he corner you? He actually did grill me. I was, I was, it was 2000, late 2006, early 2007. And they were doing like the person of the week on Sundays and all of the OG bros on the Obama campaign were like, you should do it. It'll be great. And I was like, but what prep do I need? They're like, you don't need prep. I'm not talking about Pfeiffer here. <laughs> and, um, and then I told one of my girlfriends, uh, Stephanie Cutter, I said, they're telling me I'm going to do it and I don't need prep. She's like, the hell you don't. So anyway, thank God she prepped me because it was a 45 minute interview. Oh my God. He asked God. me about Iraq and Afghanistan and the Obama's security, but he was uh, very lovely oh, all that, the same. That's good. See, re- yeah. a real pro. Toast, a real pro. Toast to the people that are able to, to, to uh, grill people, but also be lovely at the same time. I mean, and here's to having some pros to toast next week. Absolutely. Um, okay, Alyssa, well, let's, uh, who knows what will be happening by next week? I, I Who knows? I am, I'm sure we'll be texting about it as it's going on and uh, I'll look forward to talking to you. All right, bye. Bye. We have to take a break but when we come back and interview with Nancy Northrup of the Center for Reproductive Rights. Hello. Hi, Aaron. It's Nancy Northup. How are you? Hi, Nancy. It's great to chat with you, especially today. I'm sure you're pretty busy. Yeah, we're always busy, though. So, you know, <laughs> doesn't matter. Any, any, any day is just like any other day. Uh, yeah, totally. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you. Not, I guess, excited is the wrong word. I I feel like it's very important that we're talking because right now the impeachment story is kind of sucking all the oxygen out of the room. And meanwhile, there's still really important stuff happening on the reproductive rights front. And I thought there's nobody better to talk to about what's going on in the background as all of the impeachment madness is happening than you, Nancy. So um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the fight for access to reproductive health care that's still going on. Um, what is the latest? What's the what's the fight that's coming up and um, what's being done? Well, the threat to abortion access in the United States is both imminent uh, and real. There have been more than 400 laws passed in the last eight years to push abortion out of reach. Some of these are outright bans, like in Alabama last year. Uh, some are bans early as six weeks or 12 weeks. There's also a series of laws that seek to basically regulate clinics out of existence by passing unnecessary uh, bogus medical uh, regulations uh, on states. And like the Center for Reproductive Rights has 30 cases, and that's just the Center for Reproductive Rights against uh, state governments. And what we're looking at right now is that we have a case that's before the U.S. Supreme Court, which is going back into session next week, first Monday in October. And that case comes out of the state of Louisiana. And it's a requirement that Louisiana clinics uh, have, their doctors have admitting privileges at local hospitals. Mm -hmm. This issue has already been decided by the Supreme Court in a 2016 case out of Texas. We won that case. The court said that you cannot have uh, laws that are basically, you know, pretextual, not the court's words, but basically pretextual laws that pretend to advance women's health but don't, and that are you know, designed to shut down clinics. Mm-hmm. Well, Louisiana has ignored that Supreme Court law. They're in open defiance of complying with it. Uh, and the result would be pretty devastating if it went into effect. So we've gone to the Supreme Court to try to get this law blocked. And we're going to hear 
you know, shortly, we think, about whether they're going to take the case and tell Louisiana to follow Supreme Court precedent mm-hmm. or whether they're going to let the law go into effect, which okay. would be bad for the women in Louisiana and would basically have allowed Louisiana to um, completely ignore Supreme Court protection of women's right to abortion. Right. But there have been some things that have changed in the Supreme Court since 2016, since the Texas case that uh, we that we won, um, namely that there are two new members of the court who have either questionable or outright hostile records when it comes to abortion rights. Um, do you think that even though this Louisiana case is in direct defiance of the 2016 case, um, that the Supreme Court will hear the the June medical services versus G case? And uh, do you think that they have more of a likelihood now of actually upholding Louisiana's law? Well, so you're right. There were five votes uh, to strike down the Texas law in the whole women's health case in 2016. And one of those votes was Justice Kennedy, who's no longer on the court, uh, was replaced, um, you know, ultimately by Uh, Judge Kavanaugh. So, and Judge Kavanaugh, uh, in this case, dissented from the Supreme Court's granting of a stay. In -hmm. other words, the Supreme Court said back in February, when we rushed up there, when the law was going to go into effect, and the Supreme Court said, no, we're going to block the law so that we have a chance to file our petition to the court uh, to have the um, lower court's decision overturned. And Judge Kavanaugh dissented from that stay. Mm-hmm. Chief Justice Roberts, who did not uh, vote to strike down the Texas law, however, did vote for the stay. Mm-hmm. So the issue is going to come down to now that they have decided in 2016, will the court follow the decision that it rendered uh, three years ago? Mm-hmm. So this is going to be our argument to them that the integrity of the court's at stake. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to be able to count on the court to uphold the rule of law, protect our constitutional rights, and to be independent of partisan politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is really a crucial time for trust in our democratic institutions and the rule of law in an independent Supreme Court. We know that Chief Justice Roberts cares very deeply about the court's integrity. Mm-hmm. And our argument is going to be that despite a change Uh, and replacement of Justice Kennedy on the court, that this is an identical law to the law in Texas. And Louisiana is openly defying this court's own decision. Mm -hmm. Women will be harmed in Louisiana if this law goes into effect because clinics will close. And so we are going to be counting on the court to follow its own decision and tell Louisiana to get in line. Nancy, if I, if we, could go back in a time machine and talk to you in 2016, and I were to tell you that in 2019, we will will be depending on Justice Roberts for uh, reproductive health care to be upheld or upheld for women of Louisiana, what would you have said to me? Well, one always uh, looks to have the court follow its own precedents once they have been issued. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even in cases where you have justices who may not have been, for example, on the marriage equality case, 
nevertheless saying you need to follow the law now that the Supreme Court has issued their ruling on marriage equality. So even in 2016, I would have said now that this is the court's ruling, Mm -hmm. it is a different issue than when it is one of what's called first impression of the court when they haven't decided it yet. Sure. Now we count on all those justices who during their nominations said that they would follow precedent uh, to do so now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I thought was really interesting about Kavanaugh's dissent in uh, in the case in February um, was that and and correct me if I'm wrong here that his dissent was basically like we should just let it go into an go, go into effect and see what happens. <laughs> I mean, is that is that a prevailing attitude? Do you think of 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 people who think that these laws are actually going to help women that you should just let it go into effect and see what happens? See if the doctors actually get admitting privileges. Well, the argument was that the doctors hadn't tried hard enough. The reality is that admitting privileges are denied to doctors for all kinds of reasons, including, and this was proved in the Texas case, including the fact that because abortion is such a safe medical procedure that doctors don't need to transfer patients to hospitals. Mm-hmm. And so that is one reason, or just hospitals not wanting to give abortion providers admitting privileges. And so there's no basis for saying that we should risk the health of women throughout uh, Louisiana by some theory that the doctors here didn't try hard enough. You know, they did. And not only that, they don't need to because the law doesn't serve a medical purpose. Mm -hmm. And just to just to paint a picture of what that harm will be, Louisiana only has three clinics. Mm-hmm. Louisiana has a million women of reproductive age. And as recently as 2011, there were seven clinics in Louisiana, now just three. And they need to serve the almost 10,000 women each year in Louisiana who decide to have an abortion. And so, you know, the record in this case is that there will only be one clinic left open, and that is not sufficient to meet the needs of women in the state of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So it would have a devastating effect if this law were to go into effect. Mm -hmm. So in addition to this kind of very high profile case that is now before the Supreme Court, and they might hear it this term. What are some other cases that are making their way through the courts that the Center for Reproductive Rights is uh, fighting? So as I said before, we've had a whole slew of laws that have um, sought to either regulate abortion out of existence or to be outright uh, bans, as we've said before, like in uh, Alabama. So the the kind of nature of these laws are we have those that make abortion illegal even before women know they're pregnant, like at six weeks, 15 weeks. You know, there are bans on the reasons that women have abortions. There are other targeted regulations of abortion providers designed to, you know, shut down clinics. And there are bans on particular types of abortion procedures. And we are litigating um, many of these across the country. Uh, we believe that none of them should get to the Supreme Court because they're all unconstitutional uh, under the current Supreme Court law. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we are hopeful that, you know, the court in this case is going to just what they call summarily reverse it, which is to say we don't even need to have argument. That's what we've asked is that they just take it and say 
no, lower court, go back and follow our decision in whole women's health. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that these other cases that the court will be denying review of them because it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. They're unconstitutional and they're being blocked. Like as much as there's great concern and there should be because of the extremeness of the laws, you know, these six-week bans are blocked. The, you know, Alabama blanket abortion ban is blocked. Those cases should get nowhere near the Supreme Court mm-hmm. because they are clearly unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Um, Nancy, a lot of people who are listening um, care very deeply about reproductive rights, but are not, you know, lawyers. They're not doctors. They're not people that are judges. So what's something that people who don't work within the legal or medical system can do to support people who are fighting for reproductive rights? <laughs> One of the most important things to do is to make your support visible. Seven in 10 people in the United States support access to safe and legal abortion. That's a really strong majority. And one in four women in their life makes the decision to end a pregnancy. That's a lot of people who have the direct experience with abortion and their friends and supporters and family make it an even larger group of people who have experience with abortion. And being able to, if you, if you feel that you can share your story about abortion, for you to do so, because it is one thing to talk about politics and, you know, share your opinions on that. It's another thing to be talking to someone who says, I made this decision and it was the right decision for me. And even if that's not something that you want to do or you're not somebody who's had an abortion, merely talking about your support for the issue and why you support it. Mm -hmm. You may support it because you have known people who've had abortions. You may support it because you know how important it is for women's health because you've had other reproductive, you've given birth, you understand what it means to have gone through a pregnancy and its risks to life and health. It may be because you really understand how fundamental an issue this is for women's equality. Whatever your reasons, share them. Because there's so much bullying by the anti-choice movement. There is violence. There is extreme rhetoric that people are afraid to share their opinions. But if we could have every 7 in 10 people in the United States who support the right to abortion just say so, we could shut down the opposition pretty effectively. Well, thank you, Nancy. That I think that's something that all of us can do is to voice our support for each other and for reproductive health care. And um, thank you for what you do for the center and uh, best of luck with the new term. Great. Thank you for covering the issue. Have a good day. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. 
I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like parched? I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you... Stay focused and alert throughout the day, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products, plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back. We've reached the part of the show where we spend a lot of time talking about things that we think about a lot. And I don't sit here by myself at a table and talk to Alyssa in my earphones. I have real people in the studio with me. It's so nice. I'm not lonely and sad. First, I want to introduce a comedian and a writer and somebody who I feel blessed to have seen two weeks in a row. It's Megan Gailey. <laughs> Thank you so much. How are you doing? You're, look, you're looking autumnal today. I, mm-hmm. um, I went and bought like some staples. Like, like fall staples. staples. Where did you go? Girl, the Americana. My favorite place. Um, but I had been to the Grove the day before and I saw Shaq and I talked to Shaq. What? You're so small. How did you reach his face? So I was coming out of like that long um, bathroom corridor that's in the Nordstrom. I don't know why I'm saying it. Like everyone knows the Nordstrom (laughs) bathroom, but you know, there's a hallway. I know that. We know the Nordstrom bathroom. And as I was walking down that hall, someone like held the door open and across from that, the elevators opened and there appeared Shaq. And we made direct eye contact, but he didn't know who I was. Um, (laughs) And so I was like smiling at him like, hello. And then I was like a little bit behind him and I was like I love you and he turned and he was like oh thank you I go I just I'm sorry I just love you so much (laughs) and he was like okay thank you and then it's like I saw his sons there but he was so um big and fun and there was I mean like Nordstrom has a fun energy anyways but then like I was returning something and I'm like did you see Shaq she's like I saw Shaq showed me a picture it was so magical Uh, I feel like like being around Shaq would make me feel like how kittens feel when they're around adult people. They just want to climb on them. Yeah. They just want to climb yeah. up. I just, well, I was holding a Cheesecake Factory to go bag that had a red the velvet story cheesecake just gets better in it. And, better. and I, like, you know, forgot what I had with me because I was so excited. So I had a Nordstrom bag and a Cheesecake Factory bag. And I'm like, I'm so happy that Shaq saw me for who I am. <laughs> I, I got to meet him at like who I really, really am. That's great. That's a beautiful story. So go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great. The moral of the story is Spend go money. Shopping. It's good for the economy. 
Tammy. Absolutely. <laughs> Up next, happy to welcome back the host of the Couples Therapy Podcast, which you can see live this Saturday at the Virgil in Los Angeles. It's Naomi Ekparrigan. Hey. You're wearing a hysteria shirt today. I said, why not let the people know? <laughs> We're taking a picture after this. We are absolutely taking a picture. They got to know. This. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Do you want me to elaborate? <laughs> yes. <laughs> As you know, I am a new dog mother. And yesterday, my dog got her first wash and haircut, and I love her even more. Aww. Something about fresh breath in a silky coat. It just brings it all back for me. They brushed her teeth? They got in there. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God, because the last like week I've been calling her little stinker. <laughs> and then today I was like, I was like, you're a queen. Aww. You're a queen. You ain't a stinker. You're a queen. I can't believe you didn't have pictures ready for us. I know. I've been, I've been trying to capture her, but I'm also just trying to just... I'm constantly holding her. You know what I mean? I'm constantly holding her and kissing her fontanelle. <laughs> That's what I call it. She's six years old. There's no fontanelle. But I like to just kiss her fontanelle. There's something so, um, I don't know, it brings out something very maternal to hold a little animal and you feel like how small its ribcage yes. is. Oh, God. Yeah, it's so just little, like, so delicate. It's just so tiny. I know. It's just so little. Did you see her <laughs> while she was getting the bath? No, it was, but it was, I'll tell you, this was like the heartbreaking part because they're like, come back in two hours. I was like, how can it possibly take this long? <laughs> but we give her over. She immediately starts shaking. And the woman says, she goes, okay, because she's a rescue. Like, she may be afraid you're not going to come back for her. Oh. And so I'm literally like, <gasps> Mabel! <laughs> Be strong. This is temporary. You know that mean where you just wish you could communicate with them. Uh -huh. And she was like, she was like, and I was like, Andy, she was shaking. He goes, I can't think about it. <laughs> you know, like, so we literally just like, and then we just like, kept waiting by the phone, being like, is she ready? Did she do okay? Because they said Aww. they were like, if we can't do it, if she's like too much of a spaz, we'll call you to come back early. Aww. And she made it. She made it, oh looking smooth Aww. and silky. And now I, she knows she'll come back. Exactly. Mm. Even though I technically had somewhere to be, I was like, I'm going with you to pick her up. <laughs> she has to know I'm her mother. <laughs> I am so excited to see these pictures now. Trish. Oh, my God. Okay. And last but not least, uh, the person who I've gone the longest without seeing yeah. that's at this table, um, the host of Noble Blood, which you can listen to in your ears. Mm -hmm. uh, Thank you, Megan. I mean, I'm the number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dana Schwartz. Hey. Uh, how have you been? I've been good. I was uh, celebrating Rosh Hashanah, doing some expert hollow baking while I was home. Ooh. I think we made six hollows. <gasps> yeah. Ooh. It looked good. Happy Thank New you. Year. Thank you. That's so exciting. Do you bring the hollow back with you? I did. And I was going, my mom does this thing where she's like, do you want to bring Hala back? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know what? I will. And then I was like, I'll bring it to like my, my boyfriend. Yeah. And because he's a Gentile, he's never had good Hala before. Wow. And she's like, you're going to bring old Hala. I was like, okay, I won't. I won't. <laughs> so Meaning now, like two days old? Yeah. She says old? Okay. Yeah. She's like, I, we were, I'd eat that. And we I'd love that. <laughs> we were both saying Hala back and not realizing yeah. that it Holla was back, funny. I was, think, I was <laughs> thinking <laughs> it and I was, yeah. I was working I really hard not to say I it. I heard someone laugh and I'm like, what? I want bread. Yeah, I'm getting married and I eat Bread still. <laughs> I'll bake. That's I'll bake Hala for, for his Please. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Um, okay, so let's get to the topic of today. Uh, I'm going to start with a little anecdote. Um, okay, when I was younger, I used to stay home from school sick, and I was maybe actually sick like half the time. But I sometimes <laughs> it was just like a mental health day, and I had a routine when I would stay home sick from school. I'd watch The Price Is Right at ten, classic, and then I would like eat a whole pan of macaroni and cheese that I would make, <laughs> and then I would just kind of like 
you know, fuck off and like organize my room for a couple hours. And then it <laughs> you rebel. It was like I know. Then it was like big time. It was like Jenny Jones. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Ricky Lake. Oh, you know, there was oh, like Ricky. the Jerry. Jer- the real like yes. trashy yeah. talk shows were all on boom, boom, boom in a row. Two, three, four. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And then they would end with Oprah. That was like a nice <laughs> right. little cleansing. Right. Get yeah. you back. Get it, you back on the right track. The world. Right. It was a yeah. transition between like uh, like mall bargain bin culture and like respectable evening news culture. It was Oprah was in the, the Nordstrom middle. hallway. Yes. Daytime TV. <laughs> exactly. And I was watching Oprah. A lot of times I would just kind of be like, this isn't really for me. I'm 12. Um, but I was watching it one day and uh, it, I just happened to be home when she had this author named Gavin DeBecker on her show. And he'd written a book called The Gift of Fear. And the book, The Gift of Fear was basically like, hey, you know, if you have an instinct response to a situation, you should listen to it because it's a lot of times you are aware of something that you're not like consciously processing, you know, and don't be afraid to be, you know, basically just like personal safety stuff. Like if you feel unsafe, then you, then you probably, you should listen to it. But I was a teenager and I was also, I was also very paranoid. And I, my takeaway from that is I should constantly be searching my mind to try to <laughs> decide if I'm afraid. Am I afraid right now? Am I afraid? And if I am afraid, it means I'm about to get chopped up. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so it, like that <laughs> segment on Oprah actually fucked me up for quite some time where I was like, I'm, oh my God. It was like my biggest irrational fear was that somebody was going to come and get me. And if I wasn't aware of it beforehand, it was going to be like the worst, like I could, I could stop it. There are weird childhood things that we see that imprint on us permanently. Has it, has any done that to you? Well, (laughs) yes, several. Uh, Well, several episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? But I'm not going to go into that. The thing that scared me for the longest, and I feel like traumatized me the most, was my mom describing an episode of The Twilight Zone to me. (laughs) Not even an episode I ever saw, but it could have been like an Alfred Hitchcock's Presents. Which one was it? So again, again, I'm not 100% sure it was Twilight Zone, but she described... A prisoner in jail wants to escape from jail, and so he has a partner on the outside. So he's going to take, on the inside, he's going to take a pill that makes him look like he's dead. They're going to bury him, and his friend is going to dig him up, and then he's going to be free. But the episode ends where he's in, like, the big mass prison grave, and he only has one match. And he's like, well, my friend should be coming to pick me up now. And he lights the match. And he looks to, like, the side of him in, like, the mass prison grave. And it's the friend who was supposed to dig him up. But the fear was not being buried—well, like, it was being buried alive. But the way it stuck with me was I was afraid that someone was going to put, like, sneak that— powder that makes you look dead into my food. (laughs) So I was really scared of like restaurants and like anywhere where I didn't see people preparing my food because I thought for whatever reason, someone was going to try to slip me some magic thing that makes it look like I'm dead. As a child, you were like, I need a visible chef. Yeah. <laughs> I like to sit in the kitchen and they're like, what? A foodie. <laughs> I just can't believe of all the things you were watching, that Oprah segment is what stuck with you and nothing from Jenny Jones. Like, <laughs> I was an ugly duckling, now I'm a swan. <laughs> or the, the Jerry one where it's like the woman who was afraid of, have you guys seen that clip of he's afraid, she's afraid of cotton balls and then he has like a cotton ball monster come out <laughs> oh, and attack geez. That woman 
got the rounds out of her. I mean, she made it. She had 15 minutes. You know what? I became convinced very early on that the people on talk shows were actors. Not on Oprah, though. On Oprah, I thought Oprah is a journalist. Um, But the people, I remember seeing an episode of Ricky Lake that had this mom and daughter that when, and it was like the mom, like the audience was supposed to get mad at the mom for letting her daughter be a a big slut. And (laughs) the mom and the daughter were like, we don't care. We, we're sluts. You know, it was like, that was the whole gist of it. And, um, and I saw them on a different talk show yeah, yeah, yeah. doing a different thing. And I was like, oh, this isn't real. So that didn't really affect me, like, watching Gavin DeBecker be like, if you don't carry your keys a certain way, you will get raped <laughs> and you will die. Um, I also, in prepping for this this fear episode, I wrote down some of my irrational fears. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, here, here's a couple. Uh, that whenever I use a porta potty oh. uh, there is a snake in there. That will jump up and bite me in the labia. That happens on snakes in a plane, not a porta potty, airport, (laughs) airplane bathroom. Okay, it's very scary. Okay, I've never seen snakes on a plane. Don't. I was thinking soul plane, (laughs) (laughs) which I do try and watch annually, and I was like, I miss that. (laughs) Um, Another one is this is another animal one. This is when I'm like, if I'm walking down the street and I have like garbage to throw away, and I just lift up the top of a bin to throw it. I'm I'm afraid there's going to be a raccoon in there. That's not irrational. That's rational. yeah. Have you ever seen that happen? Yes. Really? To you? I, well, I had a very rat-infested backyard in Chicago, and you could not throw out your trash after dark. Oh. Just because, like, you They'd would see be the there. ground moving. Oh. oh. And Chicago rats are big. They <laughs> are. Big. Like, Chicago people, you know, I was 30 pounds yeah. heavier there. The rats are eating the scraps. So those are big boys. Yeah, they're eating, um, they're eating like portillos. They are, yeah. yeah. Deep dish pizza. Um, Naomi, what is one of your less rational fears? Okay, so many. One, semen in soap dispensers. What? Is that a um, thing? What? It, you said less rational. Okay. Okay. Like, but where uh, did that, where's the seed of that from? It is that, that's, I don't know who put that soap in there. It's always cloudy and white. And I said, sickness is everywhere. Someone could do that for the rush. Because, you know, I watch a lot of murders. I watch a lot of procedurals. And there are people who just like do shit to do it. And so it's like, that's like literally one of them. Um, I cannot walk by a piece of furniture on the street because I'm convinced the bed bugs will jump onto me. Oh, Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. You know, it's like, especially in New York where people put out stuff where you're like, that is gorgeous. A gorgeous yeah. vintage piece. And I'm just convinced it's riddled, you know? Um, it is. I'm like, I will take a very wide stance mm-hmm. around any piece of street furniture. Um, you know, uh, being behind someone, a lot of my fears, the less rational ones are ones where I'm like, really shouldn't worry about this. Also, uh, let's say you're climbing a stair. You know, uh, a subway stair coming out of the train station, something. The person in front of me, they're going to fart in my face. I just know it. I just know it. I got to keep a safe distance. It could happen. They're not doing it on purpose, but the body has gas. And if I'm right behind the body that has gas in that moment, that's it for me, Aaron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, escalators must be tough for you. Don't get me started. Escalators are scary just in their own right. Do you know that there's nothing underneath there? And then if they were to collapse, what? it would what? collapse. Wait, wait, I don't itself. understand. So it, there's not like a structure under. It's like floating. So in a what way. keeps it up? I don't know. What are you saying? Listen, it's a friend cool. told me this when I was very This is drunk. not a friend. No, <laughs> this I, is an she enemy. like worked for 
Um, Otis the Escalators. Exactly. You know, like Otis, <laughs> Otis is like Enterprise. They go to college campuses and they grab anybody with a 3.0 and above. <laughs> and so I knew a lot of people working at Otis. And I was, I've always been irrationally afraid of escalators. I, as a child, would say that I had died on an escalator in a past life. <laughs> and then she told me this thing about like, if something goes wrong with the escalator, it collapses in on itself. Uh, well, I always I, check my shoelaces before getting on an escalator. Oh, I, I always look down and make sure because I'm like, oh my God, that's the fear too of like, you know, having a lace get stuck and then you're getting sucked in yeah. there. Mm-hmm. I uh, had a lace get stuck in an escalator one time. <gasps> but you're get, still here. It didn't get stuck. It didn't get sucked, but it got just like stuck. And I was just expecting to be able to walk out and my foot got caught. And so I tripped and fell and someone fell (gasps) over the top. Oh, God. I was just embarrassed. (laughs) It was very harmful to my pride. But but it also, yeah. But you just got the lace out? I just no, I I just I took my shoe off and okay. then I pulled off and like the little end of it okay. came off. Wow, but you're a survivor. The aglet. Thank you. You, you said you're a survivor well, that's before. The thing. It's like that's our worst fear. And it's like, <laughs> Aaron's here to tell about it. <laughs> I lived. Did you have like childhood? I was always scared when I was a, a little kid and I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Mm. I had to I was always scared of my reflection in like yes. the bathroom yeah. mirror. So like I don't know. I either I can't remember if I either had to look look at it or not look at it, <laughs> but I was really scared that the reflection was going to do something to me. I still won't look at my reflection, but that's mostly because <laughs> I don't like it. It's mo- that's like a different fear. It's a different, it's a different fear. Um, yeah, that was one of them. And then there was that book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which did you guys oh, yeah. have it? That I love it. Scary. I couldn't touch the cover. The cover was a really gross clown. Do you remember? Or like Ugh. a gross yes. thing, like skull. Yeah. I love that book, but I couldn't. Physically, I wouldn't let myself touch the cover because it was too gross. But you, so Naomi, you like scary things? Well, it's interesting. Like, I I love, like, scary movies, but, like, with people. You know, kind of like the community of, like, a shared gasp. And, oh, like, watching it with people. Oh, yeah, yeah, or, like, yeah. watching it. Like, I loved Are You Afraid of the Dark as a kid. Like, the first stuff, I would, like, always write horror stories and stuff as a kid. Like, that's, like, what I liked to, that's what I really liked to do, but it was always like, because I think for the most part, I think I can go into that knowing that ultimately things are going to be okay in some capacity. Do you know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. I can I kind of enjoy it because I'm like, well, okay, almost everyone's going to die, but then one person's going to make it and then they're going to kill the bad guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I kind of know. And so like, I'm like, let me get through it. Okay, mm-hmm. but what about a movie? And I'm, this is person but like the ring where it's like now it's your implicate the ring the whole thing is like if you watch the video right. now you're gonna die were you scared of those type of movies where it's like now it's coming for you mm, it's funny those for me what i never really liked was like the creepy visual the way she's like a human spider yeah mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff where it's like that weird body dislocating mm-hmm. like stuff like this i kind of like like ugh, uncanny valley like yes. a little creepy like that i'll be like mm-hmm. but like that i'm like Okay, I see what you did there. It'll never end. Back to, like, fears. I think, like, my genuine fears are the ones that are real and inevitable. Like, my biggest fear is, like, my loved ones dying and me Mm. aging. Like, that's what genuinely scares me. And there's nothing I can do about it. Just, like, the sea of racists and terrible people in this country. It just, like, feels like this overwhelming force that you can't. I'm like, if my shoe gets caught, if my lace gets caught in an escalator, I can fight it out. (laughs) But I, I don't know. I can't. 
fight aging or the inevitability of death. But there's Oof. something about I, I would I would push back. I would push back. Uh, <laughs> I would please. I would say that um, there's another type of like the red hat MAGA guy fear is for me swirled in with a lot of guilt because I feel like I should have done something like mm-hmm. I should have seen it like okay so where I'm from Wisconsin 7th district there's a special election in January everybody listening mm-hmm. um because Sean Duffy the real world Sean is yeah. our, yes. is our congressman and real he, world Sean. he's retiring to spend more time with his self tanner um <laughs> but uh my home district before Mr. Lumberjack was our rep, was repped by this guy, Dave Obie, who was a Democrat, a, a very much a Democrat. And we had a Democratic voting pattern. And then in 2016, we went for Trump, like for the first for the first time. Like, I don't remember that from being a kid. And there's a part of me that felt guilty, like, oh, I didn't I didn't stick around. I didn't. I didn't talk to these people. I didn't know what was going on with them. I wasn't like, not that I should be like, oh, racist, come like talk to me. But it's like, you know, I felt very guilty. It's like, oh, shit, I should have somehow seen where this was going and like talked to people or or somehow known. I had this moment and I don't want to throw anyone on under the bus on mic. So I'm not going to say like in detail what happened, but like. Tell us after, please. I will. (laughs) Um. Extended family holidays and people who are liberal, who vote, who hate Trump, hate Trump and say they hate racists and like, you know, fight the fight, but like say things that are really troubling. And you're just like, oh, God. And you try to argue with them, but they're already kind. they think they're there, but they're not. And they're saying things and like Uh, Bill Maher syndrome. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Like Bill Maher syndrome, where it's like a little bit like PC culture has gone too far. But you're like, but you don't understand like the implications of the thing you're saying and you're making the big problem worse. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to fight. And it is easier just to be like, all right, you're not going to vote for Trump. Let's all just eat our cake. Yeah. Well, you know, the the thing that's really scary, I... I was I watched the first season of Handmaid's Tale and you know in the yeah, flashbacks yeah. where they're like she's just going through it like she tries to buy she coffee lives in Brooklyn yeah <laughs> she's just trying to buy coffee and all of a sudden her credit card doesn't work and like you know she keeps seeing this kind of creeping yeah. creeping yeah. creeping yeah. creeping and all of a sudden she's a pregnancy slave yeah and like um, there was one time I was driving in Los Angeles and I saw uh, somebody with one of those like blue and black. American flag stickers that's like a cop flag that's like this Mm. kind of fascist appropriation of like back the badge sort of like Fox News watching very scary pro ice fascist Mm -hmm. type stuff like blue lives matter that Mm -hmm. sort of thing and I saw it and I just had this moment where all of a sudden I was like is this a flashback scene for my future (laughs) Handmaid's Tale future like I don't know. Do you guys do you guys see creeping Kavanaugh? Fra- yeah, it was that moment for me where I was like, "We can't stop this guy getting confirmed to the Supreme Court." Yeah, where I'm like, "Oh no, we're powerless." <laughs> well, to me, it's it, it is to me it is that moment was always like fake news. The moment the moment nothing could be real. The moment you could argue anything. Mm-hmm. That was when I was like, how do we come back from this? It's less, you know, it's 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 when I look at the other, you know, again, right? My social media, like my Twitter timeline, for instance, like, of course, it's curated to the things that, you know, people I follow, people who are on my side. But every now and then I dip my toe just to kind of see what's happening. And to me, the idea that you could take one singular event and see it from two totally different ways 
that each way reveals a different fundamental truth about the world. Mm. You know what I mean? And then be like, well, how do you ever really cross this bridge? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How do you ever, how are you supposed to like get someone quote unquote on your side? And then the moment they, you know, and then when someone's, no matter what you say, someone's, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's fake. They're owned by so-and-so. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. no one believes any of it. And I'm like, well, how do you kind of come back from this? You know, then in a world where, you know, we don't value education. So more and more people coming out, coming up without basic reading comprehension. Mm-hmm. People think now that education is the liberal elite trying to brainwash your kids. It's just like, what, what do you do? Like, that to me is that's the creeping. That's the like, I'm like, you know, and then to see also how in other countries, other leaders who are kind of following in Trump's lead, the Bolsonaro's mm-hmm. and everyone is like fake news, fake news. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you fix it? Mm-hmm. How do you come back from that? I sometimes wonder if they are as afraid of us as we are of them, too. Because, like, when I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, I'm just, like, a chill, peace, <laughs> love, let's smoke weed and get fucked up. <laughs> and, like, yeah, that's, like, like I look at California as, like, awesome and fun <laughs> and cool. And I'm like, oh, my God, to so much of the country, we are, like, the epicenter of the life. Like, <laughs> we are also really frightening to them. Mm, we're going to cancel them in the middle of the night. Yeah, which is like so cr- I remember going to the Communism Museum in Prague and it, and it just like showed propaganda and it was so frightening mm-hmm. because yeah. you can just make up anything. Right. So yeah. I, I, I do think sometimes like, but we're not scary and I know they're scared of us so like maybe they're not so scary either. And, yeah. we've, been, and we've been Told to be scared of, like... But they have all the gut, like, and this is, I know sounds blanket, so please, like, most liberals I know or progressive people do not have a familiarity or proficiency with firearms. I do. I do. You do? Okay. But that's that's what I'm saying, like, who, where are my liberals who got some aim? You know what I mean? And a steady hand. Because that's (laughs) literally what scares me. But we're clever. (laughs) <laughs> are we though what I'm gonna do in the apocalypse Honestly, I'm gonna be the first to go we've been through this so I'm like what that's I the thing go. I think of that's I don't want to live in me. a world where they were right oh I want to go quick me too. I want to be in the first wave I think you guys I think <laughs> I think you say that but I think when it came right down to it your survival instincts would kick well, in well because we're already in the first wave yeah. and we're like <laughs> just bopping along well you know some people some godly people would call it the rapture um, <laughs> I, I do want to say a couple things Megan about your idea that you know and I'm just throwing that out. I don't want people to be like, oh, Megan loves that. It's just like, I, I I hope that they're as afraid of us, but then I also don't want them to be as they, afraid of us because I think that would be an irrational fear because I think we're like pretty cool. You're I, I think that, no, if you take a look at the way that the country is being run and the minority, they are the minority that is in charge, um, they are running completely on drumming up fear of immigrants, fear yes. of women, fear of refugees, Fear of people who are LGBTQ, fear of trans people is a huge thing mm-hmm. that they traffic on. Um, but I think that, you know, and also there was an article in The on the Federalist about uh, Greta Thunberg, the mm-hmm. climate activist, that was like, she was really fucking funny and they didn't mean it to be funny. <laughs> they were like, she's ish- like ushering in an era of witchcraft orgies and occultism. <laughs> and that's and that's like a Pat Robertson thing where he was yeah. just like, feminists are making people into like lesbian witches and it always, to me, whenever I read that, I'm like, that sounds fucking fun. <laughs> um, here's the thing that I think about when it comes to who's more afraid of who. Um, 
I know plenty of people, and I'm sure all of you know plenty of people in the cities where you've lived who came from other places, who came from small towns. I came from a small town. Um, I know tons of people came from medium-sized towns in the middle of the country. I don't know very many people in the town where I came from who moved to Frederick, Wisconsin from New York City. Mm -hmm. I know what it's like in both places. They only know what it's like in their place and what Fox News says the other places are like. So they know the Fox News version of San Francisco, but they're too afraid to visit San Francisco. So I actually think that fear... They are scarier right now because they have all the power. And like you said, Naomi, they have all the guns. Um, but we have all the nerds so we can hack their computers. Um, <laughs> no, they have the Russians. So fuck. Um, no, we, but we sort of have like a breadth of experience that makes it so that people who are different from us aren't scary because we've actually met them and we've actually spent time around yeah. them. Um, but... The fact that fear is now like the governing force in American society is sort of like a, it, it starts a process, like a chain reaction. Where it's just like we're all fucking afraid. Don't now, worry, though. you guys. I'll put in a good word for you, like the Jew cabal, where we <laughs> control the world's <laughs> media and gold. Oh, I mean, I got we got pulled over recently uh, this weekend, and I was I've never been more scared Fuck. in a long time. And it was like oh, no. it was like in and this is the thing we were driving too, and we saw various bumper stickers because it's like I think you're right what people think about L.A. right, but then you kind of leave the main city, and it's kind of any I mean not that you don't have the people in the city I just think you don't see it as loudly mm -hmm. and then you leave the city and it's kind of anybody's game and we were driving and we were like on 154 going up to Santa Inez Santa Barbara and we got pulled over for speeding and you know again back to what you were saying the doughy this <laughs> the doughy. this ruddy blonde <laughs> officer who came up to my side an adult blonde man terrifying. And he was just and he was just like it was like so white he was red <laughs> and I was like, we are on like the roadside, nobody around here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I just like literally had this moment. And then Mabel was in my lap. Then he comes over, she starts barking. I said, Mabel, don't get us in trouble with the popo. <laughs> and it was like, but it was like a moment. I was like, oh my God, I am afraid of this cop. And then it was funny because Andy and I were both so flustered, mm -hmm. you know, because he's the one driving and he's all like, do you want me to put my hands on the wheel? And then the guy was like, and he was like, don't worry, I'm not, he's like, he's like, I'm not a mean guy. Oh. The officer mm -hmm. says, because <laughs> I'm like, we're in a world now yeah. where it's like, he got to say he, and then it was so funny because he like totally went overboard and then was like, He's like, oh, so you're visiting? I can recommend some yeah. restaurants. So I was like, okay, now you're trying to give us some Yelp reviews <laughs> to offset your whiteness, which you couldn't help. <laughs> but it was that feeling of like being afraid of something so simple yeah. and so routine. Well, and something that's you're not supposed also to be not, afraid of. Right. It's actually the opposite. It's yeah. supposed to be a comforting. Yeah. Like. It was like we were like, speeding. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't. supposed to be like the friendly neighborhood. That's supposed to be who you run to when you are afraid of something else. Yeah. And in so many cases now, it's running away from them. You know, yeah. that's the whole horror movie mindset, right? So a horror, horror movie, you'll notice, like, I'm stating the obvious, but, like, you have to be away from, like, the institutions that are meant to protect you. Like, you have to be in a remote place where you can't, like, mm -hmm. get to a hospital the or phone police. can't house. work. The, oh, yeah. someone cut the phone lines. My, I have no cell phone reception. Like, blah, blah. Like, because, or, like, 911 is busy. Whatever. Like, because... <laughs> You can't, you have, we trust these institutions and then it's viscerally terrifying when you don't have those. So mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, the fact that like cops are systemically racist is frightening because then you don't have that institution yeah. to protect you. Yeah, there's, 
I was actually just thinking about um, like fears that we have, like as women. So like as citizens now, it's just sort of like, oh, fuck, all the people with the guns are ideologically in the minority and they're mad about it and they're trying to enforce it. Like the only way to keep a majority population like in check is like through force, because if they can't Mm -hmm. win an argument, they're going to force us. But there's also the fear that uh, as women, a lot of times is dismissed as like irrational, like, you know, uh, walking. I- I'm I've lived in cities since I graduated from college and I've you know, it- it's sort of like eventually you live in a city for long enough. Eventually, you know, your number comes up like some some city problem happens to you, <laughs> like, you know, that you, you get to your building and there's like somebody in your lobby who mm-hmm. is having some sort of mental health issue and they're very, acting very erratic and you don't know how to react and you can't get to your apartment or somebody breaks in mm-hmm. or somebody follows you home like it happens like the rural version of that is there's a bear in your garage like there's you know there's things that 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 happen or to you or in cold blood yes you know yeah, yeah and exactly. you're murdered for two hundred dollars yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly truman capote is yeah. around lurking <laughs> taking notes yeah. um but you know there was one time when i was living in chicago where like i got so big for my britches that i was just like i don't need to I don't need to pay attention to anything. Like mm. I'm, I'm going to be fine. Mm. I was walking home alone at night and uh, I got followed <laughs> and, uh, I used to live in a building that had a gate mm-hmm. and then, uh, it, the gate closed real slow. Like, no, no, God. no, no, no. And then, yeah. And then there was a long path to like the front door of my building, you oh, know, God. like the standard oh, kind of Chicago apartment. Okay. So it was like middle of, middle of February. Oh, God. Uh, my male friends were walking with me and they like, we got to an intersection and they lived in one direction I lived in the other and they're like Aaron. we'll walk you home and Aaron. I was like no you won't Aaron yeah this is a, that's every SVU movie. SVU yeah. beginning I was like literally the beginning of every SVU yeah so I like you know walk to <laughs> my walk to my little apartment and uh, like I go in the gate and the the front door to my apartment just like slams really fast it's like one of the I, I don't think whoever installed the door did it right and thank God <laughs> because I get in and for whatever reason <sighs> as soon as I've crossed the threshold of my front door I like I'm I feel <gasps> something is wrong. And I turned around and there was a man trying to like get in the door right behind me. Oh my God. Oh God, the gift of fear. You felt something was wrong. It was like crazy, like spidey sense. Like I had no reason. There was oh, no yeah. sound. I just like turned around and he was like trying to follow me in. And I like had to body slam <gasps> his arm against the door. Like I like threw you had my, to make contact with. Him? I threw my my body against the door to slam because his he was like reaching his yeah. shoulder. I'm demonstrating. You guys can't see this is an audio medium. <laughs> um, so he had his shoulder and arm inside the door oh trying to stop. God. He's like in. So I just slam. I slammed my body against mm-hmm. the door. He like recoiled, and then I pushed the door shut. Um, and he started yelling at me, and I was like, "If you live here, you should get a key. Like, don't fucking follow a woman home." Anyway, he just stood out there yelling for like several minutes. Call the police. And what was he yelling? He was just like yelling, "You fucking bitch!" Yeah. So I like ran up to my apartment, did not turn on any lights, just sat in my little foyer. And cried. Mm-hmm. Call the police. No, I was like, it was three in the morning. Yeah. I was like drunk. Yeah. And I was like, uh, like, I don't want to call the police because I don't want them to come over here. Also, like Chicago. Yeah, my yeah. Only, Chicago PD. My only experience. <laughs> the institutions are there Listen, to help. The, the show may be good. But the, <laughs> the, uh, the only, uh, my only experience with Chicago PD before that had been my car got vandalized like a year before and they took hours to come and help me. And then they made me watch an episode of The Wire in their car with them. What? <laughs> 
And then they, and then one of them asked was it me your out. Boy, was it next like boyfriend? Watching no. the wire, taking notes. They're like, is this how it's done? No, it was like, yeah, they were like, and, and it's that's a whole other thing. But I just didn't, I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, I'll call the police because right. I was like, they're not gonna help. Right. But that was like, and he's gonna be gone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the guy's gonna be gone. And I don't want to stay. It was like I just want to go to bed. I just want yeah. the night to be over. Yeah. I don't yeah. want. I just, I just want to go to bed. And then there was like, you know, other things that like just through the course of your life being a woman, it mm-hmm. happens. Like you're at a party. And you're drunk and something bad happens. Like you, you know, a male friend gets handsy with you. Like that just happens. Mm-hmm. And like, how do you go through life just having either the thing, ha- how do you go through life having had that happen to you or having be- or being afraid of that thing? I just want to give an example of how disconnected men are from women's mm-hmm. fear, if I can quickly. Um, for my bachelorette party, we did that thing like the newlywed game where they like asked mm-hmm. my fiance a bunch of questions and then he answered them and then they asked me and then we, we, we I liked it. Okay. <laughs> that uh, really cute. It was really cute and fun and like he's funny. And so one of the questions was what's Megan's biggest fear, which I think is a crazy question. <laughs> and he started by being like, I don't really think she like has a lot of fears. And so everyone was like, okay. <laughs> and then he was like, if I had to pick one, I guess I would say our biggest fear is being bonked on the head. <laughs> What does that even mean? Bonked? Bonked? Bonked like a foam, on the head. A foam yeah. head. He thinks is my biggest fear. <laughs> and I was like, what? That is insane. Oh, my Like, God. murdered. You, us getting a divorce. Like, truly yeah. anything. Bonked? No, getting bonked on the head. Anything. <laughs> but bonked on the head is what the man I'm marrying think my, thinks my biggest fear is. Did you, did you guys read um, oh, Michelle Mack? McNamara, I'll yes. be gone. Yes. But I had to stop yes. reading it until they caught him, and then I was able to pick it back up. I literally got, like, a few, like, I don't know, 25% of the way through, and I just, I was like, you know what? I have to sit this one out. Even yeah. though this was after he was caught, it just scared, what scared me the most is this, like, rapist slash sometimes yeah. murderer. The Golden State Killer. The Golden killer. State Killer. Yeah. Um, he would target women who also were, like, had a man in couples. their apartment. Couples. Yeah. So, like, usually when I'm, like, sleeping and I'm with a guy, like, I feel safer and it really scared me to think that that is a paper thin made up yeah. thing well, to keep me safe. I find myself so much more. I've noticed living in Los Angeles, I have a lot more fear than I ever did living in New York City. Really? Because L, if I if my feeling is, and again, and I know this is like just a city versus country thing. I find silence to be very off putting. Mm-hmm. The lack of. Um, foot traffic, Mm. uh, also known as witnesses. Mm -hmm. You know, it just feels like it is such a quiet place and that makes me very uneasy. Mm -hmm. The idea that like at 9 p.m. there's not a soul on the street Mm -hmm. except for the four homeless people at each corner. Um, is very unsettling to me. Whereas in New York, I could take the train at 1 a.m. Now, that is not to yeah. say that the train at 1 a.m. is safe, but I feel like my head has always been on a swivel. Mm-hmm. Like, I took the bus by myself to school starting at age 10. And my mom very much taught me, like, how, she was like, read people. You know what I mean? And she's like, mm-hmm. in, in a way, like, profile. But she goes, she's like, it's in, in that idea of, like, the gift of fear. Like, it's not bad if it keeps you safe. Now, that's not me saying, that person looks shifty. Get them out of the restaurant. You know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> like, arrest this person who makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> it's me, if I'm by myself, being like, I get a vibe, let me cross the street. Yeah. Or let me move into the intersection. Or, you know, something that will, like, just... And maybe I go overboard, but I just find myself, I get so much more nervous. You know, I was living on the ground floor for the first no. year and a half. I no, was no, here, no, 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 and I was, t- and I was, and I was so uneasy. And like, if I was ever home alone, the first week, the first month, 
I lived alone until Andy could pack up New York and kind of meet me. And I mean, I would like sleep with the lights on. I would like keep the front light on by the door. So people just like thought someone was there or that they'd be less likely to, uh, you the know, ho- the home alone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. like, yeah. you play, I played a movie very Michael, loud. <laughs> Michael Jordan dancing <laughs> on a train. <laughs> Whatever I could do to trick people. I was, And I found myself so afraid in a way that I wasn't in in New York, but then I would also have these moments like I had a moment on the train. I remember we were on the train. It wasn't even super late. It was me and one other woman. We're across from each other. There's a man next to her and he pulls out his penis. That is And I like fun. literally, and the thing is, it was go. she was like a white lady. It was wintertime. So it was like, you know, everyone's bundled up and I'm trying to make eye contact with her yeah. across me like, Are we on the same page? It was like, girl, look to your left. There's a dick. You did not plan we for this. We need to like develop some sort of <laughs> hand signal that women can do when the man next to you has his dick out and you can see it and the yes, woman can't. Yes, you know, but then like she, I think was trying to avoid my gaze because she thought maybe I was weird because I was making crazy eyes. You know what I mean? Like, I, she's like, who's this stranger looking at me? And then finally she looks down and she catches it. <gasps> and then she gets up and we both kind of do the thing where you walk to the end of the car mm-hmm. and you kind of do it at the last minute so this person doesn't know that you're about to get mm-hmm. off, right? So they don't follow you off. And then like frog her into the next car. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I entirely just like left the train and took a taxi. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, it's lawless down there. I'm just getting a cab from here, from I this part. I think that's a, like a very rational like way to get out of there. Yeah. I had a woman. It doesn't feel like I was like spending. Yeah. You're just like, you know what? Maybe my lives have been spent, you know, like (laughs) maybe I'm at nine and I need to take a cap. Like that is something you do sort of play this like money game sometimes of like, is my life worth this $35? And it's a money game. People play with like, driving under the influence, too, of just like, yeah, I think everybody's life is worth taking a cab in whatever frightening situation you're in. But Mm -hmm. if you don't have the $35, then you're trapped sometimes in a horrifying situation. Mm -hmm. Being trapped is something that Mm -hmm. I am afraid of a lot. I think especially living in cities, Chicago, New York, um, you could get pretty much where you needed to go, even if everything went wrong. It was nice because there was always like a plan C. Like yeah. plan C when I was living in Manhattan was like, I'll just walk home. Mm-hmm. Like it'll be it'll it'll be to be a long walk and a cop will probably pull over and ask me if I'm okay. <laughs> but I will, you know, I, that that's that's fine. I can take the trains, I can take a cab, I can take an Uber, I can I can walk. Or I can just like shelter in place. Yeah. But you know, there's always plans. A coffee shop. Exactly. A bar, yeah. Exactly. Um in New York or in LA not so much. And um but, but this is a sort of like back to a silly irrational fear. This is like goes with being trapped. I am very afraid of being somewhere and not having the right shoes. Not like not fashion wise. Like I don't yeah. really I'm talking like weather inappropriate mm. shoes. Mm. Um, so one time uh, this was like maybe 10, 11 years ago, I went to a holiday party with a man I was dating and I was wearing party shoes and I stayed at his house that night. And the next morning I woke up and we had a magical blanket of Chicago uh. snow. <laughs> <laughs> and his house was down like a very long Oh no. Path. Oh god. And uh I was just like I didn't have any other shoes at his house. Yeah. It was like a new relationship. <laughs> and so I was like, fuck. And he was like, Do you want me to 
carry you? And I say yes. yes. I was like, no, my pride. And so I like, I walked and it was just, I still have such a memory of like, I was like a baby deer on roller skates, like going down. But it was like, I think that was part of like my fear of being trapped is like, I can't, I can't get out of here. Like if something, what if something went wrong? Like what would I have done? Yeah. Yeah. Barefoot in the snow? Oh. Oh. Dead in two hours. Dead in two hours. That's the end. Totally. Um, So uh, do you think that a lot of women's fears are dismissed as irrational when they are, in fact, rational? Like, I'm I'm thinking I'm looking at you, Megan. Um, I'm thinking about the Kavanaugh hearings. And I remember like when he was first up, a lot of women, a lot of people were like, this is a fucking disaster. It's going to be terrible, terrible, terrible. And people were like, shut up. You're being hysterical, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that like our fears bore out with him? Yeah, we were right. Yeah, I mean, like, we're right about a lot of stuff. Yeah, we're absolutely right. And so, you know, it's sometimes like, do you not like our message? Like, <laughs> how can we give it to you guys? Because I do think that I I saw this on Oprah. It was a different episode, but it was talking about, like, female instinct and the female gut and that, like, it is, like, it's batting a thousand, you know, like it is good. It it does. But it is a curse in a lot of ways because then you have this information and you're not able to get it to people that will believe you. So then you're just sitting in fear that is rational, but for some reason is appearing. But it's like we're we're like birthing children and doing that that none of you could do. So, like, can't you listen to us when our our body that you've trusted to create life for the entirety of existence is telling us something. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what we have to do to make the message palpable, but the message is correct. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of guys probably do not understand the visceral adrenaline biological reaction that women get in certain situations. I'll say I didn't understand it. Like I, before I lived in New York, whatever, I would hear like, oh, penis on the subway. And you're like, that's unpleasant. But then you actually (laughs) experience it for the first time and you like see a stranger's dick and like, it's a, it's like an electric shock to your entire system. Like it really makes your animal. And like, I remember once feeling on a, on a subway, I had a guy like taking a picture down my shirt (gasps) and it was, he was next to me and standing and I was sitting and I didn't notice because I thought he was just on his phone. And the woman across from me (laughs) was going like, again, like gesturing. And like in my fan in my head, I'm the type of person who'd be like, hey, motherfucker, delete that picture. But like I was too scared. Like yeah. you're so I think that guys in the abstract understand it. They're like, yeah, that's scary. But they they've never experienced it. So they don't know that like physiological thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Right. And the physical danger of, as you said, like what it is to talk back, right? Yeah, like it's not simply to have whatever the thing happen, but then the idea that to assert yourself would be to get yourself in even more danger. He could punch yeah. my face. He's yeah. like a crazy yeah. person. Okay, yeah. uh, I was one night. I'm at home. I've been sitting there watching my murders. Okay, <laughs> and I go out to take some garbage out back. No, and it was. And yes. This is also an SVU. Well, well, I look. I thought I was like it was so quick. And okay, and so literally, it was just the back door. I go down. The garbage is right there, and. And, and Andy wasn't home. It was just me. But I was like, oh, it's going to be real quick. Got to take the recycling. And then as I'm turning around, this guy is there. Like, because like, the other car's parked. But we had just been there like a month. I didn't know who he was. And, and then he's walking up the same stairs that I am. Nope. And this is partially me. And I go, where are you going? That's my house. <laughs> and he was like, 
I live up here too because my dumb ass doesn't see the other door, right? Because obviously if it's a fourplex, like two <gasps> top, two bottom. So it's one set of stairs, but into my door, into mine. But here's the thing. I was by myself. I did not have my keys on me. I did not have my phone on me. And so literally at this moment, but then I realized that in the, like literally my most terrified moment where I think a true crime is like, I just go, what are you doing? That's my house. As though that's going to somehow stop this yeah, person. Yeah, he'll turn to you, start, and then dissolve into dust. Exactly. <laughs> Magic words. But just that feeling, I'm like, how do I say something but also not make it bad? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, not, like, escalate a situation. That's that's very interesting because it's something that every woman deals with. Every time something is, like, we, we come up to a situation, we have to consider the fact that the outcome for us could be that something violent happens to us like a man hits on you and it's not like he's not really doing anything that's totally out of line but you're not interested you try to let him down in a way that won't make him hit you like yeah <laughs> not, not that i've ever gotten punched by a guy and it's, it's never happened to me it has happened to people you read about it all the time mm-hmm. but it hasn't happened to me there's a part of me that's like every time i get unwanted attention that i have to be like I'm responsible for de-escalating it in a way that doesn't hurt the man's feeling. And not even physical violence. I think that a lot of guys don't understand, like, career situations. Like, I've been in career situations where someone with the power over my future job and career opportunities is, like, being a little bit inappropriate, like, on the border or maybe flirty. And if I am like, ha-ha, yeah, like, my boyfriend said that same thing or, like, something (laughs) like that, then they'd be like, screw Then they get, like, defensive and they're like, well, screw you. I wasn't hitting on you or whatever and then like they retaliate in your career so i feel like it's even not even for physical danger i think that people don't understand women every part of our life can be under the control of someone it's a dance yeah Yeah, it's a a constant dance Mm -hmm. yeah so all the energy that it takes for us to act like we're not terrified all the time that is quite a bit a full-time job yeah (laughs) it is is, it's a lot of energy um i we are running out of time but i have to i want to wrap with another anecdote about fears are any of you guys afraid of clowns um, not, scary, not the way. I'm the afraid of like ones. Pennywise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the other ones trying to make a living. Good for them. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you guys remember like maybe four years ago there was that uh, rash of yes. clowns yep. showing yes. up? Places. There was a creepy clown that kept showing up in Greenwood Cemetery, and there was like creepy cl- creepy clowns following people around yeah. and stuff. You know what? This is a controversial opinion, and it's probably from a position of somebody who's not afraid of clowns. But I think that's hilarious. Oh, it's fun. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. There was a place where you could hire a clown to follow somebody. <gasps> Terror. Oh, no, now I, I'm terrified. No, no, no. Clowns out of context. I, no. I, I, just, I think it's very funny. I think it's terrified. great. No, I I'm think terrified. it's great. It's like sending somebody a gorilla gram for their birthday, like where a person in a gorilla suit shows up at their door and they no. just like throw bananas and stuff. No. Anyway, <laughs> I think it's I think it's great. And I, for one, welcome our new clown overlords. <laughs> we have to take a break. But when we come back, the hills will die on. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. 
Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Okay, we're back. We've gotten to the part of the show where we take really strong stances on things that don't matter at all. It's the hills we'll die on. Let's get to our listener hill first. Friends, Abdul Al-Sayed here, host of Crooked Media's new podcast, America Dissected. And the hill I will die on today is that Scrubs is the best and most accurate medical show of all time. Look, (laughs) you can't be working 80 plus hours a week as a medical resident and look as good as they do in Grey's Anatomy. So that's just a farce. And by the way, people actually have like patients to see. So they spend a whole lot of time with the extracurriculars in that show. Not real life. House... Fun show, but it's a farce because there's no such thing called a diagnostician. And the dude's a <laughs> punk, right? Like, if you actually saw him at the bedside, you're like, get away from me. ER is kind of outdated, which leaves us <laughs> scrubs. <laughs> and you've got to love the Turk and JD bromance, like the character development. Shirley is awesome. It's a great show. So do me a favor. Go binge watch Scrubs this weekend, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay. Have you guys ever seen the AI-generated scrub script? No. It's really funny. Somebody put in a bunch of scrub scripts into a computer program, and it was like the final line is it's just very funny. I'll, yeah, go ahead. Have you guys seen the Scrubs clip where it's Scrubs, but you can't hear JD's internal monologue, so he's talking to someone, and then it would just be like a 40-second pause where he's just going, hmm, and the other person's just sort of smiling pleasantly. It's very funny. Also, Google that. So much Scrubs content. I know. Wow. That was more than I anticipated. Um, yeah, guys, uh, that was a listener slash host of a brand new Crooked Media podcast. Episodes of the new Crooked Media podcast, America Dissected with Abdul Asayed, drops every Monday. Okay, uh, Hills Will Die On. I will go first. Mine's really stupid. Uh, I'm I'm really running dry, guys. <laughs> Got so many. I don't even know if I have any more opinions. Um, here's a hill I'll die on. Um, has it ever, have you ever noticed that some celebrities seem to be like pregnant forever yeah. and others are pregnant for like five seconds <laughs> and it's like, oh, they already had another baby. Or, and sometimes it's like, wow, Meghan Markle's been pregnant for seven years, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a kind of weird glitch in the space time continuum that affects his pre- that affects pregnancy and like baby maturity. Cause I swear to God, I have friends on Instagram who had babies around the same time and some of their babies are still like tiny infants and others are like learning to drive. Like it just, it feels like people, I don't know. I feel like there's, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't like the passage of time when it comes to babies mm-hmm. seems very, very uneven to me. And I think it's a sign I'm living in a simulation. Well, Hill. we also have been saying nine months forever and it's, it's not ten. nine months. It's 10 months. Yeah. Wait, what? It's 10 pregnancy. months. You're pregnant, pregnant for 10, 10 months. months. Uh, yeah, 40, 40 weeks. weeks is a full term pregnancy i don't um and that is i don't understand 10 months but why do people what what because you don't know you're pregnant i don't know i guess it's like from the like missed period is when they're count i don't know and like i hope people don't fucking dm me about why why can't we grow them in jars (laughs) why can't we grow them in jars i don't want stretch marks 
anymore. I don't want I already, any. I, listen, I already got it. I don't want. Okay. Yeah, uh, and, I don't and want. The baby didn't come out of my thigh. <laughs> I don't want any more scratch marks. Okay, who wants to go next? I got it because it's a baby one. Sorry, no, you, you you literally no, because inhaled. mine was bad, so I was like, I'll just get it out of the way. <laughs> I had a different one, but then she inspired me. Don't say flaunt with baby bellies. Celebrities, they're always like, so-and-so flaunted her baby belly. No one's flaunting. She's just walking out. She's pregnant. She's walking. Yeah. Is there a way to not flaunt it? Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, even when they're wearing like very demure, it's not like they're wearing like cutouts with their bellies. So it's like. (laughs) And if they wanted to. They could. That'd be be fun. (laughs) Maybe then it's flaunting if you're like, it's like a cutout. But like sometimes it's just people and. Clothes. People who are pregnant. Existing. People who yeah, are pregnant people, existing. Right. And it's like, someone flaunted her baby body. It's like, no, she's just a human being existing. Right. She's not yeah. flaunting right. anything. So Sorry she's not living word. in a tent, yeah. you know, hiding away for 10 months. 10 months? For everyone else. But right, that's like the only verb they use. They're always like, so-and-so flaunted their baby belly. Yeah. It's, or instead of I being agree. like, so-and-so walked outside while also pregnant. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, Megan, you want to go next? I love flossing. Not dancing. I love to floss. And I feel like it gets such a bad rap. And it feels so good. Mm -hmm. And it's also good for you. And that's not even why I'm doing it. I don't know why people are not wanting to clean out their teeth after every single meal. Like, I had a bad um, fill at one point, a bad filling. And I didn't get it replaced till this day because I'm like, food gets caught in there and I love getting it out. (laughs) (laughs) It feels so good. I got floss in my car. I got floss in my hat. (laughs) Like, I'll ask people for floss. My New Year's resolution was to not pick my teeth in public and it lasted like 36 hours. Like, (laughs) I just think it feels so good. And I also think the dentist is lying to you because I floss twice a day, just like out wow. of wow. desire. Yeah. <laughs> and you do have great teeth. Thank you. Have very you. White teeth. Thank you. And uh, some, I'll go to the dentist and they're like, I know you're flossing. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> if you're trying to march up to me with this, then you've lost your picture. <laughs> yes, I'm flossing. It just feels so good. <laughs> okay. Um, no, okay. I, don't know. I don't know if I'll join you, but I respect it. You're, right? I'm, you're right, though. It is like when you, I feel like once you floss, how can you ever go back? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. the moment you see what's in there, mm. I mean, now you know too much. Yeah. And you've got, you got to keep it up. One of my favorite like routines when I was living alone, because now I've, I'm cohabitating, um, used to be like at the end of the day, I would take a long time to get ready for bed. I would like, mm. you know, I would I would like put lotion on my arms and legs. Like a and I would, I'm like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would I would lotion up and then I would um, sometimes I would like put on a, like a, a, a mask called Disco Kitten oh. that, you could, oh. that you could peel off. And um and so, and then I would take forever to like take care of my teeth. I would floss them, and then I would I would do the full sixty seconds with Listerine, and then I would wow. brush, and then it would feel oof, brand new. You could eat off those teeth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Naomi, you're uh, you're up next. Okay, again, um, something not important that I care deeply about. Um, recently, I saw a teenage couple. Mm-hmm. making out mm-hmm. and I was disgusted <laughs> I'm gonna need the teens to stop making out in public save it for your mama's basement cause these children they don't know how to use their lips their <laughs> tongue his tongue was all out and just up and down her face and I just said to myself why in a public space are you doing this I know what it is to desire someone but I don't understand why you have to do this for everybody to see it was just like almost a performative love it was like, are you two influencers? You know what I mean? Like they were just like making out with the intensity of people who needed likes. Yeah. And it was just so gross. And I was just like, 
I don't, oh, I don't want to see anybody. The only people I will accept making out is like if you 80. I love if you didn't got your groove back at 80. Mm. But like a 20, oh, it was so gross. It was so wet. The sounds were intense. You're going to hate and Hollywood Horror Nights. <laughs> it's all, all horny teens. That's the maze you're going through. It's oh. horny teens that got $80 from their parents. Well, <laughs> it sounds like the scariest part of the whole <laughs> is. thing is watching the teens lick each other's oh, lips and face. Like They're both so in bad. matching Nightmare Before Christmas tees for some reason. And it came uh, out before they were born. Yeah, right. You're not Jack Skellington. <laughs> Nobody here is Jack Skellington. Maybe some people are Sally, but nobody's Jack Skellington. Um, I respect that. I, I don't like watching it because it's just like, I shouldn't be seeing this. Yeah. Like, it's, is it illegal? Like child did pornography. You, did you see yeah. that, that photo of well, who are the famous celebs, Sean Mendes, making out with so-and-so, but they were really bad at kissing? Oh, it was like, yeah. to be a joke, but that's like literally what I saw. I the like, Sean Mendes, Camilla Cabello, we are two like horses chewing yeah. grass <laughs> off of each other's face. Yeah, but- I can't handle it. Shut it down. Save it for your dorm room. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. I hate it too. Good hell. Good hell. Thank yeah. you. Okay. That's all the time we have. Megan Gailey, Naomi Ekparrigan, and Dana Schwartz, thank you for joining me. Thank you to Alyssa Mastermonico for calling in. And thanks to Nancy Northrup from the Center for Reproductive Rights for the interview. There will be more Hysteria next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support and to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadina Malconian for filming and editing our video content every week. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.